All right, Mark chapter 6, we're in a new chapter here this evening, and uh, we're just going to look here at the first six verses, uh, hopefully, and uh, just look at what's going on here. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed your Ash Wednesday, and if you didn't think it was Ash Wednesday, just look at all the politicians on TV with all that's going on in the Ukraine and everything. Almost every other uh, politician had a black mark and uh, the ones that didn't probably had it on their hands and were hiding it, so uh, you can do that. But uh, I was listening to the radio coming in, and they said that some of the, some, some of the churches, uh, the Catholic Church, was struggling with it because of COVID restrictions, so that they were literally having ash and dash. So you would pull into the parking lot, they would reach in and do it real quick, and you can leave. Uh, ash and dash they called it i was like yeah there you go think of uh that's uh leave it to uh, uh to religion to figure out a way to to uh continue to do it so anyway uh all right mark chapter six uh let's just read verse one here and he went out from thence and came into his own country and his disciples followed him and when the sabbath day was come he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence with, uh, hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hand? Now, we're, he's back at Nazareth. That's where he went back to. Uh, chapter 5, we went down through a couple weeks ago. He's come back now. He's moving on. Now, this in Mark 6, this is the second time he's returned to Nazareth. The first time is in Luke 4. He goes back and uh, deals there. Uh, here we're in Luke 9. Uh, he, he goes again in Luke 9. This is Matthew 13. So here, by the way, the first return is only found in Luke 4, and then off you go. So here we are, the second return. He's back. He's out doing the ministry. He's out... Uh, Obviously, with wisdom, verse two there, and the mighty the works are mighty works are wrought by his hand. So he's out doing the ministry. He's now back into his local uh, community. If you see there where he says, and he came into his own country. If you drop down and look at verse four, but Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. So we are back in Nazareth. Now, now come over to Luke 4, and you can stick something in Luke 4 just so that, because uh, uh, we'll be kind of back and forth here. If you look at Luke 4, and uh, the first 13 verses are the temptation of Christ. Verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out uh, a fame of him through all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he's got a custom. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was 
written. And then he does that thing out of Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, where he reads the passage and then he stops right where the dispensational line is. And where he says there uh, in verse uh, uh, 17, and when he opened it, he found the place. uh, Verse 18, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. That's the marks of the Messiah. He's doing everything. He's, he said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ, and his activities. So his words of wisdom were being backed up by his mighty works that his hand was wrought. He's preaching and showing. Verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, period, and he closed the book. But when you go to Isaiah, come back there to Isaiah 61. Just This is phenomenal because when you talk about right division, everybody says, well, Darby was the first guy and all this stuff. No, the Lord was the first rightly divider, okay? Look at Isaiah 61. Uh, verse 1, we just quote uh, read there, verse 1 Uh, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, in Luke 4, okay, he stops right there. So, got Isaiah 61, go back to Luke 4, verse 20. He closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all them were in, that were in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. So, the part of that scripture that was fulfilled was to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, go back to Isaiah 61, and look at verse 2. Because... That verse didn't end there. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. If he had finished the verse, he would have had to do what? Pull out, pour out the vengeance of God in order to fulfill the scripture. It wasn't time yet to pour out the vengeance of God. So he dispensationally stops in, his, in Luke 4. You can go back there to Luke, to, actually to Mark 6. Hold on to Luke 4, but we need Mark 6. And he stops there in Luke 4, right where he's supposed to. And when he, when, when he stops there, again, he's doing it dispensationally, right where he's supposed to be, because it's not quite timed there. So when you come back to Mark 6 and verse 1, and he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And again, Luke 4, as his custom was, he's got a custom. He's going back to his own. Now, this is going to be very critical here because of their reaction to him. He's going to be here, our country, my, our, his own country, verse 1, again, verse 4, his own country, his own kin, his own house. He's John 1.11. He's coming to his own, and his own received him not. That's what he's doing. Now, Luke 4, Nazareth, he, he, where we, if you go there to Luke 4 again, 
he's, he's out preaching. He's out showing the kingdom. He's doing the mighty works. Then he returns to Nazareth. And their reaction to him is what Mark is pointing out here in Mark 6. You, you need to be in Luke 4, okay? When he returns to him, he's out, think about this. He's out um, in the nation preaching and showing and doing and healing and preaching and he come over and do this. And their reaction is, we're going to kill you. Rejection. He goes home to his own place, and you know what they do? Same thing. They're going to reject him. Now, if you're in Luke 4, again, he's that whole, we just look at that passage there in Isaiah 61, where he's preaching them, he's making a dispensational distinction there, where he stops Verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He closes the book. He doesn't finish that sentence because it's not time yet. But now watch verse 22. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Now look at that. Verse 28. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong, but he passing through the midst of them went his way. They're filled with wrath. They're out there trying to kill him, so he just moves along. Okay? He's gone out, he's preaching them, he's giving them the words of wisdom, he's doing the mighty works, he's come back to his own to do it in their midst, he's been out amongst the nation, now he's at home, and uh, they, he's been confirming who God the Father said he was, now he's come back to his own, and what's his own trying to do? Try trying to kill him. They're going to reject him. Now, go back to Mark 6 and just stick something in Luke, and we'll get over there again maybe. Maybe not. Depends on how we, get, how we do here. 6-2, 6 And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. So he's there. He's moving. Ministry's continuing. He's done. He did all that work up in Galilee, all that work up in Capernaum. He's back down in Nazareth now. Verse 2, And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? Now, that helps you understand the astonishment. When, there, when, he said, when, they, when it, the verse says they were astonished, it wasn't, Whoa, where'd this guy come from? Whoa, you know, oh my goodness, where, did, where have you been? It's rather, who does this guy think he is? He's just one of us, verse 6. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Their astonishment is more of a suspicion. They're not, wow, look at this guy. We're, you know, wow, look at this. We got us a new, no, it's verse 2. From whence hath this man these things? Who does this guy think he is? 
Look at verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Jude and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. He's just one of us, this man. From whence is this man? Who does he think he is? He's just one of us. He's no big deal. He's the carpenter. Now, Luke calls him the son of Joseph. Mark calls him the son of Mary. That's where you get the understanding that Luke 4 happened early, and this is later now in in the timing. We'll talk about that in just a second here. (coughs) Because the way that the verse references him as this is not this the carpenter. He's gone out. He's been doing, he's got the words of wisdom. There, verse 2, from whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by? He's got all this, he's doing all this. Who does he think he is? I mean, that's their reaction to him. Rather than, hey, here's the Messiah, but what are they in? Unbelief, verse 6. So, you think about what wisdom, what mighty works is this guy doing? Where did he get where did he get the wisdom to speak like that from? Where did he get the ability to do those mighty works he's doing? That they're suspicious of him. And they ultimately will end up thinking that he belongs to old Beelzebub. And they'll give they'll put a satanic bend on it. That really he's operating under some uh, stuff that we're not supposed to mention in, in polite company type of thing. So why, where did he get the authority where he's, where, which he, where he's speaking and his power? Where did he get all that from? So the question and the thing there in verse 2, their astonishment is not one of, wow, it's one of suspicion and one of where did... He's just one of us. Where did this come from? They don't believe all the all they don't believe that it came from the legitimate source of God the Father and that he's God the Son. They're really they again they've got that evil bend to it. It's this is really satanic and we got to watch this guy. You know, let's be careful. You know, he was up there doing and casting out we heard but man So the reasoning in verse 2 of them asking the question, from whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by those questions? The reasoning behind them asking the question is verse 3. Notice, is not this the carpenter? Now, Luke 4 says, is this not Joseph's son? Who does he think he is to elevate himself above us? He's just one of us. He's just the guy down there building the house, the carpenter. When we were over in California, we, we went down and we went over the, through Temecula and Lake Elsinore and over the mountains, and they're building like gangbusters out there. I don't know who ever told us that people were leaving California. They're not. They got more stuff going on than, than you could, st- you know. And it's not apartment buildings. It's houses, you know. 
I, I used to live in, in that area, and Lake Elsinore used to be a beautiful big lake, and it's gone now, basically. So basically what they did was they took this long lake, and they've dammed half of it, make an area for the boats to play and the people to play, and then on the other side of the dam, they have built apartment buildings almost literally shore to shore. It's just unreal. And I'm sitting there going, but that's what these guys are saying. Hey, he's just a guy down there hammering. He's just a carpenter. Is not this the carpenter? Now watch, the son of Mary. Okay? So it's a fascinating thing here. His brothers and his sisters are there. So this verse 3 is kind of loaded. It's got, a, it's got a lot going on in it. Okay? Again, this carpenter, isn't this just the carpenter? Who does he think he is of elevating himself above us? He's just one of us. He, he's over there. He's just the son of Mary. He's just this. He's nobody special. And that's what they're saying. Okay? But now, let's dissect the verse a little bit. It's a wonderful thing of what this verse gives us a glimpse into. And that is the life of Christ as he grew up. Now, in Scripture, Luke 2, when he's in the temple, look over at Luke 2. When he's in the temple, he's 12 years old. And from 12 to 30, we don't see anything about the Lord's life. Okay? And the reason for that is, is because of Mark 6, 3. And we'll get there in just a second. But in, in, he's in the temple in Luke 2. And when he's in the temple, he's, look there at verse uh, 49. By the way, they go to the temple, and by, we don't see anything about his life from eight days old, where they circumcise him. Then we see the wise men show up where he's a couple years old. And then we don't see anything else until now. Okay? He's in the temple in verse 46, and it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple. Could you imagine mom and dad leaving and not worrying and don't know he's missing? Now, when I grew up, we, I, we lived in the city of Chicago. We lived in Elmwood Park. We had to three blocks we could go one way and three blocks we could go the other because at three blocks we could hear my mom yell, time for supper. And she would yell, supper. Oh, that's all we had to hear. We couldn't go north of, of Belmont, which was the main street, because that's a busy street. And we couldn't go south but two blocks. But we could go this way and that way. So we would come home from school, throw our books down, finish our homework. And then we were outside. We were gone. Okay, And there was like four or five of us boys, and we were just out playing ball, doing whatever, you know, being little... Uh, uh, savages on the street, okay, especially in the wintertime. Snowball fights across the streets and bam, 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 bam. I had, a, I had a friend of mine, he stood at the CTA bus stop, and when the bus driver opened the door, he hit the bus driver with, with snowballs. Now, you think about, that's kind of where, all right, so we were not the, you know, we were, we were little hell raisers, as they would say, you know. But uh, anyway, I'm not supposed to brag about my past sins, but it, this kind of thought comes to mind. But now here we have the Lord. There are three days they find him in the temple sitting in the midst, verse 46, in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. 
And when they, and that'll be Joseph and uh, Mary, saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my... Now notice, Father's business. You see the capital F there? By the eight, and then verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. By the age of 12, based on his study of the scripture, he knew who he was. There's no guessing. He knows it. If at 12, he says, I'm here about my father's business, he knows what's going on. Okay. Now, by the way, what happens with that age 12 is it gets used as, a, as a accountability, age of accountability. Okay. Put that from your mind. The age of accountability in Scripture differs depending on the context of where you're sitting. Okay. The age of accountability for Israel, Deuteronomy, uh, what is it? Deuteronomy 30, I think it is, or, uh, 30, or 30 or 31, right in there, is 20. But do you know why it's 20? Because the age of the, what is Israel to be? They are to be a nation of priests. Priests entered into their apprenticeship at 20. Not 19, not 18, but, and by the way, not 21, 20. They would go, their apprenticeship ran from 20 to 30. Then the public ministry, public activity was 30 to 50. 50 they retired into seniorship, they call it. And the seniors took over, and yet they had a constant round of people doing. They were never uh, deficient in staffing. You like that? <laughs> I heard that the other day, okay? So when you think about age of accountability, there's a reason why 20 is the number. There's a reason why tw- there's no number today in the age of grace. There's reasons behind that. So the Roman Catholic Church uses 12. We're talking about Ash Wednesday uses 12 because of this in Luke 2, because here they are in the temple. Uh, you know, the, the interesting thing about that age of accountability, just kind of on the, the side, is uh, for you and I today in the age of grace, it's really Galatians 4, where the, it's the time appointed of the Father. The Father is to know his children so well to understand when it is time for them to move from being a child where they can't be held responsible to an adult, it's time to be held responsible. By the way, you can't be held responsible if you can't respond. Think about that, all right? You can't be held accountable if you can't account. If there's no understanding about what you're doing is being wrong. Now, yes, we're born sinners. Yes, we have that sin nature, but there's a, un, an ability to understand. Uh, I drove school bus for f- almost 15 years, and I drove a lot of special ed. And I'm going to tell you what, there's a lot of great, good grace people who are, are going to be surprised at how many special ed kids make it into heaven because what could they not do? Be held responsible, accountable. And I know that's ruffling feathers, and I don't need the emails and how wrong I am. You just... You just the Lord's my judge. I'll let him do that. I just know when you look at Scripture and you start talking about the age of accountability, that little word, emotions, gets involved in it because we want to let somebody off the hook. There's no off the hook, okay? And you have to leave it in its context. 
I've read different things about the age of... Romans 5 is clear. Where there is no law, there's no, there's no sin imputed. Well, with the law comes what? The knowledge of sin. What does the law say? Guilty? And Anyway, I didn't want to get off on all that. The issue here, again, the, the thing about accountability, the age of accountability, is the issue of understanding between difference between good and evil. Think about Solomon. What did Solomon ask the Lord for? The Lord said, ask me for anything. He says, I don't have the, understa- the, I don't have the knowledge to run the nation. I want wisdom. See, he wasn't accountable. He gets the wisdom. Now he's what? Accountable. See, that's the idea. So don't use this passage in Luke 2 to, to make a legit, to try to legitimize the age 12 being that age of accountability uh, and rather just let it be where it is and understand in the age of grace, I would tend to be more of the Galatians 4, Romans 5 mentality than, than this. But here, what is the Lord doing? In his childhood, by the age of 12, he's clear in understanding what he's, who he is. Who is he? He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. In his humanity, what does he have? He's got to, if, if he's going to be tempted in all points as common to man, then he's got to have what? A normal human life. And that's really what 6.3 gives us. Go back to Mark 6 now. Uh, by the Yeah, Mark 6. Mark 6 verse 3 helps us here. And he, it helps us under, see his, his family life from birth to public ministry. Because at public ministry, it's all on thing, all on scene, all, all, all made manifest. What do they call him in verse 3? It's not this, the carpenter. Okay? Now, Joseph, Luke 4.22, Joseph was a carpenter. So obviously he worked with his dad, didn't he? He worked in the family business. He learned the trade. But here, he, they don't call him the son of Joseph. They call him the son of Mary. So evidently, Joseph has died. And now the oldest son is in charge of bringing home the bacon and, su- and supporting the family. So when they look at him, they say, this is that kid, this is the carpenter. He's down here working. By this time, again, this isn't his first return to Nazareth. This is his second return. Evidently, Joseph is now dead. He's called son of Mary. Luke 4, first time through, son of Joseph. Joseph is there. And the Lord's the breadwinner. He's down there banging nails and collecting the paycheck. Because here he is. So he had a normal life, didn't he? He's got a normal childhood. He has a normal job. That's their point, by the way, in Mark 6, the first six verses. Who does this guy think he is? He's nothing special. He's just normal, just like the rest of us. How can he 
Where did he, where does he get off thinking he can speak so highly and do so mighty? What, this guy is nobody. By the way, look at his brothers. Brother James. Now, that brother James is going to end up being the James who ultimately becomes the pastor, if you will, of the Jerusalem church. The Acts 15 James. The Acts 20 James. The writer of the book of James. Because James the Apostle is killed in Acts 12. Herod gets him, okay? So here he, obviously, that, his half-brother, because the Lord is a half here, <laughs> Joseph wasn't his dad, become, gets into the little flock and off he goes, okay? But think about it, four, four brothers, and then it says sisters, that's at least two, plural. Get the right hand up. Okay? And then the Lord, so Mary had at least seven children. Now, if you've got brothers and a sister or two, or three, I don't know, it just says sisters, what's going on in the light, in the house? Is it calm and quiet, or is it chaotic? Now, I grew up with two brothers, younger than I. We were pretty much, hel- we, were, we, were, we were savages. We, we could raise it pretty good. Now, raising kids, I had a son and two girls. And I'll be honest with you, the girls are a little tougher to raise than the boys. Because the son, you can knock him in the back of the head and send him down his way. But man, you do that to the little girl. Oh, daddy, you know, the tears and bat the baby blues at you and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, okay. You know? So you've got different, you, you've, but you've got a normal life. That's the point. In his earthly life, in his human, humanity, in his human life, he was just like us. He truly participated in our humanity. He didn't pull the, well, I'm God, so I'll be up here. You know, the first time he probably tried that, James and the boys took him down a notch, you know. I don't know if he did or not because he's without sin, but still, you know, that's usually, I'm the oldest, so you get in line because I told you to, Right? I don't know if he pulled that or not. It'd be kind of cool to ask him one day and say, hey, did you pull this? You know, he'll probably do what you're doing, chuckling, <laughs> you know, and give a little side wink, you know. And just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I digress. He had a, just a normal kind of life. That's what 6.3 does for us. It just, it just shines a little light in there that says, here's, he, he just had a normal kind of life. Now, notice the son of Mary, that title. There's something else in that than just evidently Joseph is dead. He's now associated. She's the patriarch, and we're taking care of business. Because there's a, there's a rumor about Mary, isn't there, that happened since day one. Because... There's local gossip about that Mary and Joseph down there. And you know their story when they began, how they got together? 
Again, what are they doing here? Who's this guy? He's just a carpenter. He's just a normal guy. He's out there working with his hands. He's Mary's son. He's got a family. He's just trying to make the ends meet. He's just a regular guy. But there's a there's a underneath all of that there's a dig. Come over to John 8. And it lies in that issue of son of Mary. Look at John 8. John 8. Hang on just a second here. I'm going to John chapter 8. By the way, Matthew 13, which is the counter, the other side of this, the verse says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? A little different wording, phrasing, and stuff. Well, because Matthew's looking at it a little different. Look at John 8. Look at verse 39. We're just kind of jumping in here. The Lord's talking to the Pharisees. He's dealing with them. Verse 39 they answered, they hear, that's the Pharisees, answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man which have told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, now watch, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. The Lord answers that accusation of being, we be not of fornication, because what's the story? Well, what's the accusation? Well, Joseph, there's a stigma attached to Joseph and Mary and the Lord. There's a gossip, there's a rumor about his family and his mother. And if you think about that, here's Joseph. She comes up pregnant. She's espoused to Joseph, engaged. To, they're not married. Being a spouse doesn't mean they're married. They were engaged. Okay? They're, and she comes up pregnant. Joseph marries her anyway, puts her away, hides her privately. Yet he's not the father of the child. Well, who's the father of the child? The father, <laughs> okay, the Holy Spirit, the Godhead. Now, that becomes what? Public knowledge. If she's great with child on the way to Bethlehem of Judea, they know there's something going on here, and everybody starts going, hang on a minute, one, two, three, four. Ah, that's not enough time, Joseph. What's going on? You know, the... The wedding was on January, and she's due here in, a in April. What's going on here? Woo! You know, not enough time there. And you know how the people. So there's a stigma. So when you come back to Mark six, that's what that son of Mary little dig is. Now Luke doesn't have that. Luke is son of Joseph. Mark, Mark Matthew is not this Joseph's son. Well, yeah. Is this not Mary, his mother? Yeah. There's not a dig there. But there is a dig here in Mark because what's Mark portraying him as? A servant. And as the servant, there's always something in the closet skeleton of the servant. 
and there's this dig here. So as they go, verse 3, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? They, he, this guy, who does this guy think he is? He's making himself to be a big shot. But you know what? He really is nothing but a hardworking guy over there, banging nails, scuffed up his hands, and we have this little stigma over here about his mom, Mary, and where, where did he, who's his daddy? Who, you know, who's his daddy? <laughs> who, who is he? They had a stigma attached to him. That's troubling. That's why the verse ends, and they were offended at him. There's some things going on. And now, the they there is not his brothers and sisters alone. It's the whole town. It's the whole country. It's the whole area. Okay? Now, also what ha- helps with this verse is the wonderful Roman Catholic doctrine of the perpetual virgin of Mary. Obviously, <clears throat> thanks for playing. Okay? Because she's had what? Six more, at least six more children after the Lord. Now, they promote her as being perpetually a virgin so that they can worship the Queen of Heaven, right out of Baal worship, Judges 2, and so forth. We've looked at it over the years. And they just keep that going, okay? And they keep it going. So the Catholic Bible comes in and changes this from brother, the brother of, to cousin. And they say, well, really, they're just cousins. Now, come over to Luke 1. Your Bible knows how to say cousin when it needs to say cousin. It knows how to do that. Luke 1, look at verse 30. Oh, verse 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth. Here's John the Baptist's mom. Mary goes to visit. She hath also conceived a son in her old age. Notice, see how it says thy cousin? It knows how to say cousin. So guess what it knows how to say? Brother and sister. But they, they, they sit there and they gotta make a, they're making a play because they got to promote the theology of her being a perpetual virgin so that we can do the Mariology and the Mary worship and all that. And when you come to Scripture, actually in Luke 1, if you turn the page and look over at verse 46, and Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. She knows she's a sinner. She needs a Savior. So the Scripture just really takes care of it. Um, But they like to play the game. And, and again, come back to Mark 6. You can go to, you can go to, you can take, uh, get John 2. Get John 2 and Psalm 69. Just, these are right here. We're talking about it. Might as well look at it. You didn't have anywhere else to go tonight, so. No? Okay, good. Whew. Psalm 69 and John 2. We'll start in John 2. John 2 here, you have the first miracle of the Lord there at the marriage of, at Cana. Verse number 16. Then said unto them that sold doves, by the way, he's 
purifying the temple first time. He's kicked, cleaning out the temple. These, uh, and he said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Now that's a quote of Psalm 69, 9. Okay? So what John 2 is saying is that Psalm 69, 9 is being fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ right here, right now. So let's go back to Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is what is called, is one of the Messianic Psalms. The Messianic Psalm is a psalm that prophesies, foretells the Messiah, things about the Messiah, okay? So about the coming of the Lord, what he's going to do, how he's going to operate, and so forth. By the way, Psalm 69 is also called the reproach psalm. But look at Psalm 69.9. Here's the verse. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. Again, clear indication, John 2, talking about the Lord. But I need you to see verse 8. So look at verse 8. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's, what? Children. So if verse 9 is the Lord, then verse 8 is the Lord as well. Do you see how it says my mother's children? In the New Bibles, guess what it says in the New Bibles? My mother's children. They have yet to fix that one to cousins. That says my mother's children. You know, and the only reason why they haven't found that is you haven't told them yet. The only reason they find this stuff is when we're talking about it and somebody brings it up. The, come back to Mark 6. The NIV has changed itself again here, I think it was last year or the year before, to correct some of the virgin birth stuff because the populace that they sell to has barked at them enough and complained enough because they keep running into us who are, you know, Bible believers and keep pointing it out going, you, you still, you got it. So they've uh, put a uh, correction once again. Anyway, go back to Mark 6. If you read your Bible long enough and just read it, I, I had somebody ask me one time years ago, do you do word studies? I don't do word studies because a word study requires, a study of a word requires a context from which the word sits in. You can't do a word study without considering the context that they sit in. You, you know the word is, I-S? Is is a verb. But it's more than a verb in that sentence. It's also the subject of the sentence. It, now, when you go to the dictionary, the word is, guess what it is? It's a verb. That's what it's, the part of speech it is. But in the sentence, is is a verb, is is what? The subject as well as the verb. Huh? Okay, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It means leave the words in their context is what it's talking about. So if you read your Bible and you get into it and you study it, guess what will happen? You'll quickly find Psalm 69, 8. There's little verses stuck away over here that protect that virgin birth. It protects Mary, but it doesn't support the mainline theology of a lot of groups. All right, back to Mark 6. So Mary had more children 
Again, it, for the Lord, this just gives us a picture in that he had brothers and sisters. He had a normal life until his earthly ministry, his public ministry began. He was right there. He's the head of the house, evidently, Mark 6. He's out working. He's out paying. He's out providing. By the way, Zechariah gives a prediction of a carpenter coming, and it's a picture of the Lord and what he'll be doing. And he carry, Actually, there's like four carpenter statements that are made. about. So here he is. That's who he is, okay? Verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Again, in the beginning was the word, John 1, 1, and the word was with us. The word was God and the word was with us. In the beginning was the word and the word. Oh. I had a guy one time, a Sunday school teacher, years, I mean, I was a little dude. And if you could quote the first 14 verses he'd give you of John 1, he'd give you a $5 bill. I learned them because the, I got that $5 bill. In the, and then I went out and bought a baseball glove with it. So there you go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with, was with God, and the Word was God. But verse 14, and then the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So that's what we're reading in verse 3. But notice how verse 3 ends. They were offended at him. They are jealous. They hate him. Think about this. They're mad at him. The reason they're mad at him, the reason they're like, who does this guy think he is? What in the world? He's nobody. He's just like the rest of us. And they're offended is because they hate him. And at the heart of hatred... And really at the heart of unbelief is that issue of envying and jealousy. And that's where they're at. You think about Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if it went Abraham, Isaac, who did we who did got left out? Ishmael. If it's Jacob, who got left out? Esau. Now, what did we learn about the descendants of Ishmael and Esau? Did they love Israel or did they hate Israel? They hated Israel, see. Why? Because they were jealous. That's what's happening here. They still do, yes. Verse 4, But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. That's the point here. I've come home, verse 5, and he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Notice that. He couldn't do. And he could there do no mighty work. He couldn't go and do. He's home. He wants to do. But he marveled at their, well, it doesn't say marveled at. He said marveled because of their unbelief. That's different than marveled at. He marveled because of their, their unbelief. I mean, you think about that. He wants to do for them what he's been doing for, and he couldn't because of their 
unbelief. By the way, two times the Lord marvels. Here, and then over in uh, Luke 7, Matthew 8, but Luke 7 with the centurion. And he marveled at the centurion's faith. Here's a, he marveled at the fact that there's a Gentile who would have this great faith to believe the, the Messiah, to believe the Abrahamic covenant, to come over here and to build and to do all this stuff for him, and Israel didn't have any faith at all. So he marveled at the centurion's faith. Here, he marvels because of their unbelief. They have all of this evidence to believe, and they don't. And he marvels at it. Now, you have to remember, come back to Jeremiah chapter 2. All this in Mark 6, the first six verses here, is more than just a peek into the life of the Lord. There's a picture being painted here. And there's a picture being painted here of the situation within Israel. So we got to remember that. Look at Jeremiah 2. He comes here. He comes to his own kin, his own country, his own kind, his own. And what you see is you see this bigger picture of what's happening in the nation of Israel. What's going on with his relationship with Israel? He's doing all these great evidence, mighty work, wisdom of words, and mighty works wrought with his hands. And they see it and they reject him. Unbelief. Jeremiah 2, look at verse 12. They hate him. They're going to kill him here in a few chapters. They're plotting it out already. Jeremiah 2, look at verse 12. Be astonished. There you go. O ye heavens at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, saith the Lord. Think about that. There, there, that idea here of marveling. He marveled at what? Be astonished. And... Let that scare you to death. Look at what they're doing. They got all this evidence. They got everything going on. And because of their unbelief, they've rejected him. Verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. Look at that. Here's the condition in Israel. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters. They, they forsake me, the source of life. Again, John 1, the first five verses in creation and light and dark, discovering without him there is no light, without him there is no life. All that stuff, they've rejected it. And the number two, have hewn them out of cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They try and make a substitute system that can't even hold the water, let alone the water of life. That's where we're at in Mark 6. When you come back there to Mark 6. They have taken what God gave them. The word of life, there he is. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life, they are truth. And they forsook it. And they come over here and they went after a vain religious system 
And he's like, I'm, I marveled because of their unbelief. I'm astonished at what's going on here. Again, all that's happening within the nation of Israel. But look at verse 5, 6-5, Mark 6-5. And he could there do no mighty work. He couldn't do a miracle. However, what did he do? Save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. So, you know what the, the, the healer preachers say? You didn't get healed because you had no faith. Do you know that those people got healed there, and they, even though they didn't have faith, he still healed some of them? So having faith and getting healed are, are not connected. They're connected by the guys over here trying to, you know, rob Peter to pay Paul guys, or rob Paul to pay Peter. Un, unbelief is in them. It's there. All they could do then was just get healed. Couldn't do a mighty work. Couldn't come over here and, you know, do. But he could reach over and heal a few, a few sick folk. A few. Does that sound like somebody we've talked about? Believing remnant, little flock. Here's a few that do get it. <laughs> Not a many, but a few. No, no faith, unbelief, yet he's able to heal a few people. He's, he's able to come in and still, even there, get that little flock. Verse 6. And he marveled. Because of their unbelief. Boy, that's, there's the core issue. Unbelief. If you go back up there to verse 2. Whence hath this man these things, and, hath, and what wisdom is this that which he given unto him, that even with mighty works are wrought by his hand? He's been speaking words of wisdom to him. By the way, they recognize those words of wisdom. He's been doing mighty works. They recognize. No, none of these guys ever, never, ever, 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 ever say he didn't do what he did. They never, you know, we can look back over at a guy like Benny Hinn from years ago and say that, no, that's a fraud. Right? Please say yes. They never said that about the Lord. But yet they still did what with him? They recognize it all, but they're mad at him. They're jealous at him. They're offended. Because what, the, what they thought those wisdom of words and the mighty works did, well, what they did do is they made him stand out above everybody else. And they were jealous of that. They were mad about that. They were offended by that. Think about that. Here he is. Here's a guy that can pre he's preaching and showing. He just cast the legion out of the, the dude, the 2,000 of them out. He's been healing. He, the lady just touched his border of his, his robe, and she's healed. He goes over, he's just raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Don't you think that's been spread around? And what happens? 
he's a standout. His fame is everywhere. And you know what they are? They're jealous of it. They're offended by it. So what do they say? Verse 3, he's just one of us. He's just a carpenter. He's that illegitimate kid over there of Mary. We can't even, we don't even know who his daddy is. I know Joseph did and adopted him and all that stuff, but he's still got that little, that little mark by his name. And it's like, wow. And the Lord just looks at him and says, wow. His marvel. Their unbelief. By the way, think about that. Think about what they're saying here. They're saying this guy couldn't teach anybody. He's just one of us. He couldn't do that. So what are they saying of themselves? We can't teach anybody either. And what is Israel to be? They're to be the teachers. <laughs> and yet here they are. Just, that's how counterproductive unbelief is. Come over to John 7. Oh, we've got to quit. John 7. Look at uh, this. It's just John 7. You see, his marveling is, he's marveling at how, how stupid they are. How stupid all this sounds. You guys are tearing me down because you don't want me to stand up there, you know, because I am who I am. I am the Messiah. Hello, McFly, anybody home? You know, that And yet, you guys, oh, just, I could, the frustration. <laughs> look at John 7. Look at verse 14. John 7, 14. Now, about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man's letter, how knoweth this man letters, having never learned? See what they instantly assume? He doesn't have. Jerry had that jacket on from Bob Jones University. He doesn't have a degree from Bob Jones University. So who taught him? Now, certain circles, that's a, that's a needed requirement to get in. Other circles are like, what? You know, Axia. Other circles, we could care less. But see, that's what they're doing. You didn't go to our school. You didn't go to our cemetery. I mean, our seminary. And Jesus answered them, verse 16, and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. Now watch verse 17, and watch it very carefully. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine wherewith it be of God, or whether I speak of myself. You see that thing there about if any man will do his will? If you're willingly, if you're willing to do God's will, that's a heart thing. That will create the capacity for detecting the truth, well, the divine authority. That's what he's getting at, whether it be of God. He's detecting the divine authority for what Christ is saying. And we're unbelief. Come back to Mark 6. We've got to finish up. Where Mark 6 comes in here, and where the unbelief comes in is, you know what they're doing? It's not from a lack of information. They've got it. They just don't believe the evidence. It's not an evidential issue. It's a heart issue. 
They have it right in front of them. You got it all. And yet, heart-wise, there they are. Now, look at verse 6 because of the way it ends. 6-6. Six, six. And he went round about the villages teaching. Now, that's a lonely little sentence at the end of this section. Now, starting in verse 7, he's going to get the 12 apostles and he's going to send them out. Okay? The answer to the unbelief was for him to go, the end of verse 6, and do what? Teach. Preach the word. That was the answer to their unbelief. The answer to their unbelief wasn't storming the castle, wasn't ranting and raving. It was what? Just preach the word. So God's answer to unbelief, no matter where you're at on the chart, is preach the truth. Now starting in verse 7, we'll do that next time we're over. He And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits and off he goes and he's going to send out the twelve. Okay? And we'll get into that next time. But just notice, we get a nice little glimpse into the earthly life of the Lord, but what we're really seeing is that bigger picture of the rejection. They got all the evidence. And what did they do? The nation rejected him, but now his own hometowns rejected him. You know? There's old Leroy down there. I grew up with that guy, man. I know what kind of, you know, rah, 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 rah. I knew a Leroy. That's why I said Leroy. You know, I knew, you know, boom, you know. I knew what kind of guy he was. He, what does he think he is, you know? He's no better than me. And they just un, unbelief, okay? We'll pick it. We'll grab it from there and go from there. All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word and for the look into it and for the ability to study it and to see the things here and to marvel at all that has transpired in the earthly ministry and yet all that you have to accomplish with, with your people, the nation of Israel. In your name we pray. Amen.